find more Bible on your person than the person that doesn't have one. It's all right, Jackie. Don't, don't change your behaviour when we're out. Same, same as at home. Don't obey me there. Don't feel the need to have to mould and shape yourself to prove anything here. Enjoying that, are you, Ruth? Hey? Num, num. No, please. Do you want to just carry your chair back to the table there? Feel free, you can sit there and... No, please, Ruth, it's fine. It's about time you got it. And Daniel cops it every week. It's about time you, you cop something there. If you've got a Bible there, um, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want to take a, a few minutes this morning and talk to you about a couple of things that are on my heart that uh, I believe that uh, God wants to say something to us, challenge us, who believes that uh, you're not just here to stare at a finely sculptured handsome man up the front yeah, with an Adonis-like figure and... You know, yes, I, I do work out. I pray that each of us walk out of here different than when we came in, that we, we understand God a bit more, that we're more in love with him, that we appreciate the cross more, that we experience God, that we encounter God. How many of you know that the world has enough information about God? I don't think Jesus died to give the world religious information. I think God wants to encounter himself with us. He wants us to meet him. He wants us to experience him. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I Two weekends ago, I went down to Port Macquarie to play in a, a state touch football tournament. And um, we went down there and we play over three days. It's quite intense competition. We've got the, the best touch players in all their age groups from uh, under 20s right through to over 55s playing in this tournament, and uh, I'm currently playing in the uh, Balna over 40s, which is kind of awkward now, because I'm at 45 middle range, and so each year, it's, you feel like you're getting, you only go up one year, but the, the gap between 45 and someone who's just turned 40, those four years of leg speed and everything, it's, it takes its, its toll on you. But you know what, I, it's just kind of man I am, I push myself, I go out there, I do it, you know. Um, but you all know that. So anyway, we went down there and we played at this state uh, touch football tournament. The week after, which happened to be last Sunday afternoon, we have uh, a presentation night. We get all our representative players together in Balna. We go down to Cherry Street Bowling Club and we have an awards night. And we give out awards and trophies and present uh, uh, a, a couple of uh, uh, perpetual awards and team awards for individuals that have performed well. And um, in the 40s, um, we give out a couple of awards. One is uh, the player's player, and that is the, the, the player at the end of each game, all the players would vote uh, three, two, one points for those that contributed and, and uh, played a big role in the outcome of the game. And that would happen each game. And at the end of the tournament, we accumulate the points and we give a trophy to the player's player. And it was really interesting this year, the guy that won our player's player, I mean, he was amazing. He was outstanding. Um, he looked like he was 18 years of age out there. I mean, here we are playing over 40s. This guy looked like he was 18. 
passing game, his running game, his agility, his ability to read the play, the tries he scored, the tries he set up. He was, he was a head and shoulders above. Oh, hang on, I won that, didn't I? Sorry, 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 forget that. The other trophy we hand out is an award called uh, Most Improved. We give a trophy for the most improved. And that is a person that from the beginning of the, the, the tournament, the campaign, we start training about five months uh, before we go away. Um, for those that play touch, it's a serious tournament. So about five months before that, we get together, we select a team, we start training. And from the beginning of training right through to the end of the tournament, um, we're looking for the biggest improvement. Who's the player that has uh, uh, learnt more about the game? Who's the player that has maintained their physical fitness, that has learnt to be in the right place at the right time, to play their role on the park and do their job and has come from here to here and it's evident to the people around them that this person has really gone from here to here. And we uh, present an award called the, the Most Improved Player. After the awards ceremony last week, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, gee, I wonder how I would go if there was a spiritual most improved award that was presented at the end of this year. We're coming towards the end of the year. There's only a couple of weeks left. And, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, you're going to see the ads on TV and people are going to start talking about the New Year's resolutions and, you know, what we're going to do and how the world's going to change for us and we're going to get fit and we're going to this we're going to do all these things and we're going to step into new uh, horizons and so on. But coming to the close of the year, I thought, man, I wonder if there was an award ceremony and we were to give out, as a, even as a, a, as a church, if we were to give out a most improved award. Uh, if the hosts of heaven were to sit around in a panel and to judge and go, okay, who's, who's really uh, got evident spiritual growth in their life in the last year? Who's prioritised the spiritual side of life and has, has really pressed into God? and developed perhaps the, the, the disciplines of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, being led by him, the discipline of obedience, of, of, of doing what God has asked us to do, the, the discipline of getting to know God through his word and through prayer. I wonder if there was a, an award given out, a trophy for most improved over the last 12 months. I asked myself the question, I wonder if I would get that, or I wonder at least if I'd be in the running for an award like that. In First Timothy chapter 4, and Paul is writing to Timothy, a young fellow who's been left in charge of a, a church there. And I don't want to get into the full context of it, but starting in verse 12, Paul says this, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, spirit, and faith, and purity. Be an example to others in your life, the way you live. Let them see something in you that points them in the right direction. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. You know, we all have gifts inside of us, things that have been deposited inside of us, given to us. They're not just natural talents and, and, and personality traits, but there are things that God has deposited inside of us for a purpose and for a reason that we use those things for the, for the betterment of the kingdom of God not just to grow our own kingdom and our own will, but to do things to make this world uh, more the kind of place that God wants it to be. In verse 15, he says this. He says, meditate on these things. There's a lot of stuff we could talk about there, but I want to focus on this next bit. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. 
give yourself entirely to these things so that your progress might be evident. In other words, Timothy, we're gonna, if we were going to hand out a most improved player award, I want you to live your life as if you were running for that prize. Live your life in such a way, let your spiritual progress and your passion for God and your, your pressing into him and your growing. See, we, 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 I believe that life is a rounded thing. There's the spiritual side of life. You know, People talk about spirit, soul, body. I think the problem most of us have is that, that soul and body, we take care of that and we go to the gym and we drink diet drinks and we do all these things. We take care of that side of life. But how much attention do we give to the spiritual side of life? How much attention do we give to that? Yet he's saying, you know what, let your progress in these areas be evident to all. In other words, let, it should be evident. It should be something that people around you look at and go, yeah, I can really see that you're growing in that gift. I can really see that, that you're exercising, that you're moving in the right direction spiritually. And Paul's challenging him, saying, meditate on these things, give yourself that your progress may be evident to all. And that's what we did last week was we awarded a trophy to a man who his progress was evident to all. Because he'd physically looked after himself, he'd, he'd gotten fitter, he'd learnt the plays, he'd done all the right stuff, and it was evident to everybody around him in that team and the club that this guy deserves that award. And I thought, man, I wonder if it was a, a, a spiritual thing, God, would I be in the running for something like that? This year, we're about to close out a year, have I prioritised that side of life? Is it important enough to me to put time and energy and to discipline myself in that side of life? Or is that just kind of... Uh, it's there, but it'll take care of itself. And I spend all my time, my energy, my resource, my money, maybe making myself look good, staying fit, eating healthy, doing all these things. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think we neglect the spiritual side of life at our own peril. We neglect the spiritual side of life to our own uh, detriment. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Again, the first principles of the oracles of God. You know, I think that God has a gracious expectation of growth upon each of us. There are other scriptures in the Bible where the writers of the letters go, look, you should be moving over here, but you're not. I'd love to give you more. I'd love to give you meat, but I can't because you're still just drinking milk. You're still just over here drinking milk. You're not developing that side of your life. You're not positioning yourself in a place where I can use you more effectively. You're not positioning yourself in a place where I can, can, can speak to you more deeply about your life and the world around you. You're not positioning yourself in a place where the spiritual side of your life is important. You're not positioning yourself in a place where I can do the things that I want to do in you and through you. And I just want to challenge us this morning as this next year is coming to a close if, if we were to do a most improved, and I'm not talking, by the way, about who puts a hand up and does things in the context of a Sunday morning meeting. I'm not talking about that. That's wonderful. We love the people that come here and serve and you know, help with morning teas and, and all that stuff and, and you know, put up sound. We love all that stuff. We've got some great people here that serve. But, but that's not your whole spiritual life. Sunday morning is an hour and a half. This is one and a half hours that we have together. That's it. It's, it's, really, it, it's, it's a small part of our walk with God. It's a small part of cultivating that spiritual side of life. You know, if the only time we have any interest or thought about God is when we come to church on Sunday, we're missing something drastically. If the only time we pick up a Bible is when we sit here in church on a Sunday, I think we're missing something. If the only time we, we worship or even think to say thank you to God is when someone's up here playing three songs on a Sunday morning, we're drastically missing out on something. 
We're not exercising that side of our life. We're not uh, uh, enabling that part of our world to grow. And when we're not enabling that part of our world to grow, I think God goes, I've got so much more for you, but I can't give it to you because you're just not strong enough to carry it. You're just not positioning yourself in a place where you can move with that, where I can unload that stuff. And I think that God has a gracious expectation of growth. You know, my, my kids, when, when our children are little, right, just little kids, we don't mind if they're, you know, they you know, can't, you know, butter their own toast or, you know, they, they can't make a bed or, you know, when, when, when kids are little, we, we, we have uh, a certain amount of expectation. One of the expectations is this, that at least they will grow. Amen. We do have a kind of a, a, an expectation. I mean, we might not look at that baby and go, I really, really hope you grow. Well, I mean, it's just an unspoken expectation that, that we will go from a place of immaturity, a place of tininess to a place of bigness, that there would be growth, that we would be progressing and, and growing and growing. And getting, you know, when, when our kids are little, we've got to tell them all the time, you know, make your bed and clean your room, make your bed, clean your room, make your bed, clean your room. But we hope that in the natural scheme of life, they get to a point and age where you don't have to tell them to make their bed, clean their room anymore because they just know it's what their father wants. And so they just do it. They just do it. And then that relationship kind of moves to a deeper level. You know, all of a sudden, instead of talking about, on your case, about what you, you know, make your bed and clean your room, make your bed and clean your room. Are you getting this? Make your bed and clean your room. All of a sudden, our relationship can move on from, from that position to something a bit more deeper. And we can talk about deeper things. And, and because you can do that, maybe I can pass more responsibility on to you. you know? Maybe we can, I can give you a little more weight to carry. Maybe I can open up more doors of opportunity to you. And that's the expectation of our children as they grow. I mean, if our kids were 30 years of age and they're still doing the same things they're doing when they're three years of age, we'd be somewhat disappointed. We'd be somewhat disappointed. We'd be somewhat frustrated. We would, we would, uh, we would realise that you know, they're missing out on, on things. With that kind of attitude and mentality, you're going to miss out on opportunity. You're going to miss out on, on, on doors that could be opened up to you. Experiences in life, you're going to miss out on a lot of things. So we have this expectation, this natural expectation of growth in the natural. I'm a firm believer that God has the same gracious expectation on each of us in the spiritual. That we should be progressing. That we should be growing. The writer of Hebrews says here, but by the time we don't know too much about where this church is at, how old these people are, who exactly uh, he's addressing in that congregation, but what we do know is this, he's saying very clearly to them, however long you've been hanging around this God stuff, you should be teaching people by now. You've been around long enough to be a contributor to the kingdom, but you're still sitting back consuming and not contributing. And you can sense in the, in the words there that there's this, this almost bewilderment. I'm, I'm actually surprised at this because the natural thinking, you should be teaching others, but you're not. There should be a point in our spiritual growth where we stop being consumers and we start contributing. We stop being the ones sitting back going, God, gimme, 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 gimme. And we get to a point where we go, you know what, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do, Lord? It's not all about me. It's now about a bigger picture than me. It's not all about God, do this for me, do that for me. And God's there going, look, I love you and, and, and so on and I'll, I'll meet with you and I'll bless you and I'll give you good things and so on. But at some point, there's an expectation that, hey, you know what, there's a bigger picture here. Life is not just about you. You've got gifts on your life. You've got things that you've experienced. And I want you to take some of that stuff and let's go out there and build the kingdom of God, not just our own kingdom, but bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. 
Let's take some of that stuff. And I think God has a gracious expectation of growth on us. He expects us to be growing in some of these areas. Um, There's a story in the Bible, and I want to give you a little bit of a different slant maybe on it. Uh, In John chapter 11, everybody knows the story of Lazarus, right? Yep. Everyone know the story of Lazarus? He's a a, 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 a Mary and Martha, a, a, a sort of part of Jesus' posse, if you want to put it that way. They love Christ, they're following Jesus, their brother uh, gets sick and their brother dies. And so while he's sick, they send a message to Jesus. You find it in John chapter 11. I'm just going to go through it and just point out a few uh, verses in the story. In verse 1, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Martha who anointed the Lord. In verse 4, in verse 3, Therefore the sisters sent to Jesus, they said, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. Lazarus is sick. Verse 4, Jesus says this. He says, this sickness is not under death. Now what does that tell you? Like if Jesus was to say to you, this sickness is not under death, what are you going to think? I'm going to think, okay, so he's not going to die. Is that a fair call? Am I reading too much into it? I'm just thinking, okay, he's not under death. He's not going to die. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through this. Whatever's going to happen here, I know a couple of things. Number one, God's going to get glory out of this. Number two, Lazarus ain't going to die. Okay? So Jesus puts this out there nice and plainly. Verse 5, now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, the disciples panic and they go, look, last time you were there, they were going to kill you. So let's not go back there uh, where he is because they'll kill you and there's a little bit of a, a discourse goes on there and in the end Jesus goes, no, no, I'm going. And the disciples go, right, we'll come with you and we'll die with you if we have to. We'll follow you, we'll go back. Verse 13, however, Jesus spoke of his death. Um, verse 14, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I've, just so you, you know, I've, I've got this written out in my notes, but they're sitting on my desk at home, so I'm sort of trying to catch up with myself here. In verse 11, then these, then these things Jesus said, and after that he said this, he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus says to them plainly, look, Lazarus is dead. I can almost sense a little bit of frustration, perhaps. Perhaps. Look, here's what's going on. This is, he's not going to die. Oh, great. Okay. They run off. Then the disciples come and go. Uh, Jesus goes, look, he's, 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 he's just going to sleep and so on. And the disciples still aren't getting it. So he just plainly, perhaps in a little bit of a... And you know what? I got, Jesus got frustrated at times. There were things that frustrated him. All right? There's nothing wrong with a little bit of frustration, godly frustration. I think what we're seeing here is Jesus has a little bit of expectation. Come on, guys. Come on. How many times did he calm a storm or do something, turn around, look at them and go, where's your faith? How many miracles do I have to do for you? How many times have I got to tell you it's going to be okay? How many times do I have to show you who I am? before you stop panicking, you stop dropping your bundle, you stop throwing the towel in and you start standing, growing a bit of spiritual muscle and going, you know what, even though all this stuff's coming against me, God, I know you're for me, I know you're good, I know you're with me, I know you won't leave me and forsake me. How many times? And he just lays it out plainly for them. He says, Lazarus is dead. And watch this, verse 15, I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And Thomas says, we'll go and we'll die with him as well. As he gets closer to town, 
Mary and Martha and a bunch of people find out that he's coming. Verse 20, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, she's now at Jesus, she goes, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said this, your brother will rise again. Now what would you, how, how would you interpret that? What, what, do you, what would you think if you were there in the moment? It's pretty straightforward. Look, I'm telling you, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha says this, I know, I know, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection. The last, I don't know that. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yeah, I believe. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the one we've been waiting for. When he said these things, she takes off. She goes to her sister. She says, Jesus is out there. So Mary gets up and she runs out to Jesus. Verse 31 says, Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary raise up and run, they went out and followed her, saying she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, this would not have happened. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, watch this, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. The New Living Translation words it this way, he was angry. When you look at the original Greek of that word there, it means that he was a little bit frustrated. He's a little bit... Come on. He's not going to die. He's going to live. It's going to be okay. Is someone, anyone here going to trust me? Anyone here going to take me at my word? Is anyone going to go on this journey with me? says, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And then he says to them, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. Watch this. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again groaning. It's the same word, again groaning in himself. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. It's still happening. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench. He has been dead for, he's been dead for four days. Jesus turns around and says, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? How many times do I have to say to you that he's not going to die? How many times do I have to say to you that whatever's going on here will work out for the glory of God? How much more plainly can I say to you that Lazarus will walk again? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes. And this is what he said. He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Verse 42, I know that you always hear me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they might believe that you sent me. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. When I read that story, I can almost feel the frustration of Jesus. I can almost feel the expectation. Come on, you people have walked with me for a while. Now, you've seen me do this. You've seen me do that. I'm telling you something, and you still won't believe me. You're still not at a place where you can trust me. I feel like there's this gracious expectation on the behalf of Jesus that these people would listen to him. There's this gracious expectation 
that they would trust him. When I say this guy's not going to die, you see, it's a wonderful story about the resurrection of Lazarus. And I hear it, it's always spoken about the power of God. You know, but right from the very start, Jesus says, this is not about the resurrection of the dead. It's, gonna, it's not like it's a surprise and you know, the crescendo is he rises from the dead. Jesus says right at the start, he's not going to die, people. This is a journey that, uh, of these people that are around Jesus. As he goes time after time after time, I'm trying to tell you something. I'm trying to explain something. I'm trying to speak to you guys. Come on, trust me. Come on, trust me. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And time after time, you can sense this frustration in his voice as these people perhaps are just not stepping up to the plate. They're just not prepared to step out in faith. They're just not prepared to believe him. Maybe they're, they're not spiritually attuned enough to hear what he's trying to say to them. And there's this sense of holy frustration, I think, in the voice of Jesus. Come on, guys. He's not going to die. Who's going to believe me? Who's going to go with me on this journey? Who's going to listen to me? And I read that story and, you know, I think, man, I reckon, I reckon I would have been probably like those guys too. Jesus would have probably had to say it 10, 20 times before I got it. Even though right at the start he said to me, you know what, he's not going to die. I probably would have been the one standing at the tomb going, don't open that tomb, it's going to stink. This guy's been dead for four days. It's too late for you to do anything. The time is over. And Jesus has gone, man, right back here, I tried to arrest your spirit and get you on a journey with me. But you wouldn't come with me. You wouldn't come with me. You wouldn't listen to me. I wonder if we were to hand out an award, if heaven was to stand here today and go, most improved for the year 2017 goes to. I wonder whether any of us would have put ourselves in the running for such an award. It's not about performance. Don't hear me saying we need to perform. We are loved by God by grace. We are saved by grace. We are saved unequivocally by the grace of God. But we grow by embracing the power of grace in our life. We grow by actually doing the stuff that God tells us to do. You know, James puts it this way. He says, don't, 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 don't be a hearer only and deceive yourself. He says, be a doer. Engage with the word of God. Engage with the Holy Spirit. Do the things that we know God wants us to do. In doing that stuff, we build that, that muscle. We talked last week about that faith muscle. And we build that muscle. We build that muscle. We build that muscle. When we actually engage with our faith. Jesus did not die to give the world another religion. You know, there's enough religions in the world right now. There were thousands when he came. He didn't come to give us another God. He came to give us a connection back to the only God that there is so that we could walk back into relationship with him, not because we're good, not because we're anything great about us, but because of how good he is. We could never reach up to God, so he reached down to us through the person of Jesus. As we move into this next phase, if you want to put it, as a... As a, as a a church, as a group of people. And we're going to go into this building. I've had people say to me recently, what's going to be different when you get into the building? And my question is, will you tell me? You tell me what's going to be different. Change of location is not going to do anything to reach this community for God. Being in a building is not going to do anything. Okay? The change isn't about location. The change is about in here. Change is about what, 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 what changes am I prepared to make? How serious am I prepared to take God? Is he just an additive to my life? Is he just fire insurance? One day I'll get to heaven and, you know. Or do I engage with God here? Do I really believe? Do I really believe? We sing songs like I'm filled with power by the Spirit of God. Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that the spiritual side of life is real? Do I really believe that? Or is it just a nice concept? Is it just something that I read about in a book or do I actually believe it? 
I go to the gym, believe it or not. You probably struggle to believe that, but I do go to the gym. But I'm pretty irregular with it. Um, you know, I'd like to say I'm extremely disciplined. You can tell by my figure I'm not as disciplined as I perhaps could be. Um, you know, um, I am doing something about that. I rub it strenuously, hoping a genie will pop out and it'll just go down. But no genie's popped out yet. I try to look after that side of life. I, I, I put energy and discipline into that side of my life to try to stay fit to achieve the things that I want to achieve in this physical world. You know, I, I have my goal, my touch football as a sport, and I do what I need to throughout the year to physically maintain a certain amount of movement and fitness and agility so that come the big tournaments, I can step into that stage and I can play and perform and actually contribute to the team, not have a team carry me, but actually give something to the team. Do I do the same thing in the spiritual side of my life as well? Do I keep myself spiritually fit? Do I maintain my connection with God? Do I grow in that side of my life so that when the game comes, when the opportunity comes, God can throw me out there and go, that's the person. Let's go and do something great together. Let's go and do something wonderful together. I'm really challenged by that because I don't want to get there into that building. I'm speaking to people that, I know we've got some visitors here today, but I'm speaking to people at the moment who call themselves a part of this particular church. We're going to get into a building there, but what's going to be different? What's going to be different? You see, we pray, we say, we read this book and we pray, God, we want to see the book of Acts. We want to see the God of the book of Acts. And God looks down and goes, I want to show you that, but I want to see the church of the book of Acts. You want me to be the God that I was to these people? You be the people that they were to me. You be the people that they were to me. You trust me, you believe me, you, 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 you look after that spiritual side of life. It's not just an additive, but it's a real valuable, important part of who we are. And I, I pray for each of us in this coming years. We're starting to think about, you know, what are your natural goals and things you want to do. Uh, uh, let, me, let me encourage you. Have, have some spiritual goals that you want to set yourself in the coming year as well. Have some spiritual goals because God has some for you. God has a gracious expectation that in the next 12 months you will grow spiritually. That's a gracious expectation of God. Just as we have that upon our kids in the natural, God has that gracious expectation upon us as well that we would grow. Do we trust God as our provider? Do we believe that the grace of God is sufficient for our needs and in our, our time of trouble? Do we actually believe that God will never leave us nor forsake us? You know, All these things become realities for us when we focus on that side of life. And we go, yep, look, I realize that, that that's an important part of who I am. And I need to strengthen myself, put myself in a position so that I can be a contributor to what God is doing on planet Earth and not just sit around for another 12 months and be a consumer of the goodness of God. Amen. Sorry for the visitors that are here today. I, uh, if I knew you were coming, I would have shared something a little bit lighter. We've got some good friends of ours, Nicole and, and Matt, and the kids are here uh, as well. But uh, I just really felt like I needed to share that with us. It's been sitting in my spirit for the last week. And, um, you know, some, some messages are vegetables. Some are like jelly beans and ice cream. And I love jelly bean ice cream messages. But uh, every now and then, we've got to take our veggies because they're good for us. And that's a little bit of vegetables for us. But I do, I do want to challenge us. And I do just leave us with this challenge, you know. How important is the spiritual side of life to you? How important is it? If we just think we're going to reach the world by just being really great in the natural side of life. You know, we used to go to a church and they had fantastic music. Awesome, awesome music. But you know what? You can go to a pub and hear awesome music and great musicians and bands and so on. You know? I, I, you, know you, I, you can jump on YouTube and online and I, can, I listen to preachers who are just the most amazing entertainers. They're fantastic. They're funny. They're great. They're charismatic, all this stuff. But I listen to Tony Robbins and he's the same. 
Is that what it's about? Or is there more to it than that? Is there a spiritual side to life? You know? And that's what I want us as a community to engage with and to embrace. You know, because I believe there's more miracles. We, we, Del will share next week, there's more of that stuff waiting for us. But you know what? That's for mature people. That's for mature people. That's for people who are prepared to listen, engage with God, and step out in faith and trust God. They see those sorts of things. They engage with them kind of miracles. And I'm looking forward to next week hearing your story there, Del. So um, make sure you write it down and come along. Father, I want to thank you for today, Lord, and just thank you. Uh, God, for the time that we have had together. God, I pray that you would uh, bless each person in this room, Father. God, more than anything else, I just pray that our eyes would be opened up and we would just see the reality of Jesus Christ. God, we would see the reality of the cross. We would understand that that happened for us, that, um, that Father, you love us unconditionally, that your grace is there for us, that, Father, you have good things in store for us, Lord, and that, God, you want to use us, Father, in the tiny speck of dust, the amount of time we have here on planet Earth, you want to use us to bring something good to the world around us, to bring a little bit of heaven to earth, as it were, a little bit of your kingdom to earth, God. So I pray you would challenge us. I pray you would, uh, God, motivate us to seek you more, to press into you, to listen to your voice, God, to step out in faith, trust you, God. Be people that embrace the gracious expectation of growth that you have upon us. And Lord, I also pray for each of us here as we go from this place in the next seven days. God, let each of us have an opportunity to share the love of God with someone that does not yet know you. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 God bless you. Uh, Have a great week. Have a fantastic Christmas if we don't see you before. If we do, uh, next Sunday morning we'll be here at 10.30 with a bunch of seacoasters coming up and we'll talk about some Christmassy things next week if there's such a word.